I'm not familiar with the way you start your okay. podcast. So I'm just going to say we're having uh, Morgan Ellis today. This episode, oh, dang it. We have to be nice to each other. There's lots of people watching, okay? <laughs> they think it's funny. Um, uh, no, I'm not going to roast you on this <laughs> podcast because people have no context, and they're going to think, wow, that professor's a jerk. <laughs> it's true. Um, okay, I'm going to say this episode four. We have Morgan Ellis today, um, and he's going to be talking to us about deliverance from the mind of the mind right isn't that whatever you want to say i don't know what your sermon not from the like. mind that would be dead <laughs> <laughs> if you do have deliverance from your mind you would die <laughs> deliverance in your mind okay deliverance in your mind okay and then if you want is that enough for you to take it away from there yeah i'm very used to conversation little style with podcast mm-hmm. you know i know this is hard for you to believe but i don't <laughs> i don't really have the ability to talk for an hour like, that's fine. That's no, why I'll in have my questions. classes, that's why in my classes, I'm actually like crippled by students asking questions because crippled. Yeah. Like I'm like, guys, come on, say something, talk. Oh, talk you mean you me. want them to talk to you? Yeah. Oh, I'm okay, crippled okay. if they, yeah. If they don't ask questions, that's why in some of my classes, I'm like, come on guys, let's interact. Oh, I'll have preaching a little different, but yeah. But with talking, I need conversation. So though, you know, if I get tired of hearing myself talk, I'm just going to stop and let you say something. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, all of us wisdom, Lord, and help us to just find that flow, Lord. We really need you as the fourth person in this conversation, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. I can't believe I just hit my head again on this. Did you? The other day, I, I smacked my head on it. Um, You're good. No, no marks. Let me think. Okay. All right. So this is episode 24, and today we have Morgan Ellis. Uh, he's a professor here at CLC. Um, he's pretty cool. He's <laughs> he's pretty cool. Don't lie to your listeners. <laughs> and uh, he actually preached a sermon on Wednesday. I think I might have actually talked about this in our last podcast. He preached a sermon on Wednesday about deliverance in the mind. And um, I'm not going to lie. So I went to service, but I had a lot of homework. So I was like, I'll go for worship. <laughs> And I left and I went to KYCC and I was, I was doing my homework, typing up a paper and I put on the live stream and this lady was talking about, you know, her testimony and everything. And so then you got up there and I'm thinking, we're doing a double portion of preaching tonight. So I turned up the volume and then, and then you said deliverance in your mind tonight. And I was like, oh great. <laughs> so I was like, this one's for me. <laughs> and then I tried to ignore it. So I turned on the volume a little bit and I could like faintly hear you talking about stuff and i was like dang it this is right to me and then you're at all call you're like everyone who's going to come to altar now is going to be delivered in their mind tonight and set free and i'm like okay shut my laptop <laughs> i walk back over <laughs> to service and sure enough on the floor sobbing <laughs> i saw yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like okay i guess i needed this yeah so um you can you can start you can take it away do whatever you well, want thank you guys for having me i'm uh, i'm honored to be here um the mind is a topic that I feel many times the apostolic church is undertaught really because we want to avoid um, a lot of the psychological techniques that the clinical world uses. And we become very intimidated by that, that we don't want to appear like we're psychoanalyzing. And really none of this has to do with psychology. Um, Historically, psychology was a great enemy to fundamentalist church movements like Sigmund Freud and, and whatnot, they, psychology has stood diametrically opposed to, uh, uh, to Christian thought and worldview. However, as we, um, 
we progress in society and even in apostolic doctrine and the understanding of the word, we understand that God has um, such an extreme heavy emphasis in deliverance in the mind. And it's more appropriate. And now I'm not a psychologist in any way for the listeners who don't know who I am. I'm, I'm a theology teacher. So I'm coming at this from a theological point of view. Um, I do not have any I took a few classes in seminary in counseling and psychology, um, not enough to have an educated opinion on every on anything. Um, but as it pertains to the Word of God, um, just doing some study, I have found such an important emphasis on having dominion and deliverance in the mind. Um, I heard a statistic after I preached. Uh, it, it wasn't really a message. It was more an altar call. Um, I, I have a much longer lesson on this that that the lord has given me that i've preached in lifeline i don't know if it's um on our youtube page some some of them go up some of them don't (laughs) depend on how the media people feel that day um so i'm not sure if it's on youtube but um, i've come to realize that we have misunderstood the full redemptive work of calvary oftentimes as spirit-filled believers there is I don't want to just say a heavy emphasis because heavy emphasis is good, but I feel like an only emphasis on the spiritual renewal that takes place because of Calvary. And, but people do not realize, and there's a passage in Colossians. I'm going to refer to a lot of scriptures. I don't have any down with me. So you can, if you're at home and you want to find these scriptures, a quick Google search will probably suffice. But uh, it says in Colossians, I believe chapter two, it says that the cross came to reconcile all things, everything that was taken from man in the garden, sin ravished every single area of creation, starting with the spirit man was the first. When Adam and Eve sinned, they instantly were separated from God in their spirits. They were no longer in spiritual harmony with God. This is why the Bible uses terminology like while we were dead in sin. Well, we weren't literally dead, meaning we still had a pulse and our lungs were operating and our brains, the neurons in our brain were firing, yet we were dead in sin. That's because our spirit was dead. Um, We were separated from God. This is the difference between communing and communicating. I talked a little bit about this on Wednesday, but we've lost, we lost the ability to commune with God, not to communicate with him, in the Old Testament from Abraham and Moses and, and, and many others, they were able to have communication, even intimate communication with God. But the Garden of Eden design was supposed to be much deeper than communication. It was supposed to be communion, meaning two souls, well, two spirits harmonizing together. And this is why it says in the book of Corinthians, it says, that if you've received the spirit, you've become one with Christ, a spiritual unity, a communion, more than talking to one another, a oneness. What does communion look like like today? What does communion look like? Well, we, we actively participate in communion with God through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Um, it, we go from deeper to communicating, meaning one person talking to another. Communion quite literally means in a spiritual sense. Now, I know we take communion with the cups and the wafers and the, the fruit of the vine and whatnot. And that is a spiritual symbol of our communion with Christ. And because we have communion with Christ, 
we have communion with one another because we're his body. Because you are one with Christ and you are one with Christ and I am one with Christ, that makes us one with each other. That's the body of Christ illustration. Like my fingers are not my ears. They have separate functions, but they're really the same. Mm -hmm. They're the same body. They're just different parts of my body. And so when we take communion, we are, that's part of the resemblance. That's why we remember the broken body and the blood that was shed because ultimately that caused us to be unified with Christ. And in being unified with Christ, we're unified with one another. And that's why uh, the Corinthian church was punished or received negative consequences because they were not discerning the Lord's body properly and they were going in with great division among them. And the apostle Paul goes as far to say, this is why many sleep among you, meaning they have died or some sleep. I don't know if he says many. He says some sleep among you. It's in first Corinthians 11 because they did not discern the Lord's body properly. So this idea of communion is this idea of oneness and oneness is a lot more than a theology textbook. Oneness is one of, if not probably the most practical and foundational doctrine in all of scripture. It's not this theoretical, how many thrones are there and how many, um, how many, you know, eyes are there in heaven looking down. Um, that is obviously part of it. We believe Jesus is the only God and, and he's the image of the invisible God. There's one throne, but it goes deeper than that. Oneness has to do with us being his body and being unified with Christ, being unified together. And this is why you see in Philippians 2, you know, speak the same thing. Fulfill my comfort, uh, you know, loving one another, letting there be no divisions among you. Um, in the book of Corinthians, all throughout, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. And so this goes back, ties back to my original point, that the spirit died and communion and oneness with God was separated. Unity with God was separated. You have a question? Yeah, how, okay, I'm a little confused with, um, okay, the spirit dies when sin entered, correct? And you have to remember, um, this is a big misunderstanding about death. Death is not a cessation, meaning death is not the end. Death is a transition of realms. When something dies, especially in the realm of humanity, when something dies, it doesn't cease to exist. It just goes from one realm to another. Meaning when you die, you don't cease to exist like the atheist would believe. Spiritually. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the concept of death in general. And so I'm using physical death as an illustration so we can go backwards and understand spiritual death. Okay. So when you die in a physical sense, you don't actually cease to exist. Your spirit just translates from an earthly realm into a heavenly realm. Well, it's the same thing when we died spiritually. It's not that our spirit ceased to exist. It was separated from God. This is why going to hell is called the second death because you are eternally separated from God. Okay. It's not that you cease to exist or you just go in a grave and you're you're quiet for eternity. It's that you're eternally separated from God. So when we say our spirit died, it was ripped apart from the life source, which was God. And we were no longer able to commune with God because of sin. And it's very important because I want to tie this all back into the soul and the mind. 
And so sin is public enemy number one for why things go wrong in the world. Um, and it's not just my sin only. Sin affects everything around us. Everything negative that has ever happened has happened because of sin. Not only our own sin. So I'm not talking like I'm one of Job's friends because they accused him. Well, you're here because you sinned. Well, that wasn't true, actually. It was good theology, but it was the wrong person. Okay? Not, we can't, and that, that's why we can't just create these theological systems and not think things out properly because sometimes there are gray areas in life and sometimes there are complicated nuances and situations that we need genuine spiritual discernment for, not just a list of rules on the wall and say, oh, well, if your life is going terrible, that means you must have sinned. Case closed, go repent and everything will be okay. Well, that's true most of the time, but it's not true all of the time. But ultimately, Job was suffering because of somebody's sin, because of Adam's sin, because of you know somebody else's sin around him or, or whatever it might have been because he lived in a fallen world. So sin killed our spirit. Sin killed our body obviously, because the Bible says in the day that Jesus, um, well, Adam heard rather from God, in the day that thou eatest the fruit thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, he didn't die in that day. Physically, he died spiritually. But the process of his body dying began that day. Some theologians believe Adam was 920 something years old when he died. Um, some theologians believe that they lived for millennia in the garden. But the process of his aging started the day he sinned. So he lived 900 years after he sinned in the garden. We don't know that to be true. But we do know the process of entropy started that. Entropy is the breaking down. And the beginning of the process of decay started when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. And so their bodies ultimately died. So spirit, you have to understand this process. Spirit was an, was an instant death. The body died at the very end of life, but the soul and the mind died slowly. Meaning Adam and Eve were accustomed to garden life. They were accustomed to living naked and unashamed with no sin, no sickness, no pain in childbirth, no issues for the consequences of sin. And they slowly had to, had, their minds had to drift from kingdom culture to how do I operate under sin culture? Because they, no, they took themselves out of the banner of kingdom culture. And now they were living, living under the banner of sin culture. And they had to become accustomed. Now they had to learn to wear clothes and cover their, their nakedness. Now Eve had to learn how to have children in the midst of childbearing. And their minds slowly decayed into sin. Well, let's go and fast forward 4,000 plus years to the cross of Calvary. The book of Colossians says he redeemed all things to himself. And the same process in which sin took things away from us is the very same process Jesus gave them back to us. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave us the ability for our spirits to be resurrected instantly. Just like they died instantly, they resurrect instantly. So when you receive the Holy Ghost, the Bible says it's a quickening spirit. That's a King James terminology to say it makes something alive. 
And so when you receive the Holy Ghost, that dead spirit that's separated from God goes through this process called justification, which is an instant process, meaning it's as if you never sinned in the first place. He doesn't just pardon your sins. Pardoning means, um, you know, I'm not, I, I see your sin, I see what you've done, but I'm not gonna penalize you for them. This was the Old Testament system. He goes so much further and justifies of you of your sins, or as Acts 2.38 says, remits your sins. The word remission means as if they never happened in the first place. It's an equivalent, like that thing that you did didn't even happen in the mind of God. It's not pardoning, it's remitting. And through that process of remission, we become spiritually sinless in the eyes of God because we're covered with the blood. Now, we know we are not sinless, but we be covered. We are covered with the garment of Christ as if we were. This is the grace of God and justification. We have not earned the status of sinlessness, but the grace of God has covered us in that way. And that's why we need to submit to God, else we go back under the banner of sin and our life goes horrible again. This is why sin is, uh, is so terrible. But God re resurrects our spirit. And then our bodies are ultimately redeemed. The, the book of Corinthians chapter 15, it's that famous, it's very good in song form. You know, oh, where, oh death, where is your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because ultimately in the Old Testament, somebody could live for God their entire life, but death meant that the process of their living for God stopped, and they ultimately went down to the belly of the earth, which we think is Abraham's bosom. So they were in hell, but they were in like a special protected pocket of hell for saints. This is why Jesus went down the second day, and he led captivity captive. He took those Old Testament saints up to heaven. So the cross didn't just go forward, it went backwards. The cross is the most amazing event that has ever existed. It is this, there's a reason why our, even our time metrics are BC and AD. Even the, uh, even the atheist will say we're living in 2023 AD. What is AD? After the death of Jesus Christ. Now I know they call it antediluvian age, but really it's after the death of Jesus Christ. I was raised that BC was before Christ and AD was after death. Um, and that's not how they use it in academia. So all these kids in the college probably don't really even recognize why they do it, but we recognize that it is centralized on the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the center of all time in history. That cross changed everything, not just our spirits. Ultimately, our bodies redeemed. So again, Adam and Eve died instantly spiritually, and they ultimately died physically, okay? Our spirits are instantly redeemed, and ultimately, our bodies will be redeemed. That's why the doctrine of the resurrection is so important, because that's God's final work of redemption. Our dead bodies that are in the grave, when we say it's Gabriel. I don't know if Gabriel's going to blow the trumpet, you know. Someone's going to blow a trumpet, all right? <laughs> Whether it's Gabriel or somebody, you know, Louis Armstrong. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody's going to blow a trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise. I, I apologize. I'm laying a long foundation. No, it's fine. Is this okay? Yeah. Okay, because I'm going to get into what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. But I think the foundation is very important. Um, do you agree? Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Jonathan, this makes sense. Okay. Um, we're dead. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're dead. <laughs> so, um, and then our bodies are going to resurrect. Instantly, that body's going to be redeemed. So spirit at the beginning, 
instant body at the end instant but what did adam have and eve have to do they progressively died in their soul and in their mind they had to progressively drift from kingdom culture to sin culture i don't know if this sounds dumb what is the difference between soul and spirit it's a very good question. I, I believe there is a distinction. There's some people that do not believe there's a distinction. I absolutely do. Now, there's this doctrine called the trichotomy of man that there are three separate components to man. They all work harmoniously. I wouldn't go as far to say that there's a trichotomy, but I do believe that the areas are distinct, okay? The body is obviously the, the area of you that lives in the physical realm. Okay, the book of Hebrews says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit to the joints and marrow as it is cerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So there does seem to be a distinction. If the word of God can divide them, there is a distinction. First um, Thessalonians 5, 16, someone can fact check me. He says, now may the God of peace sanctify you holy, spirit soul and body notice the order spirit first then soul then body that's exactly how adam and eve experienced the consequences of sin spirit soul body so when jesus redeems us he redeems a spirit soul body spirit is the part of you that's like god it's the eternal part of you i believe spirit and soul can be seen like an apple in its core they're one but the spirit is the deepest part of man. It's the thing that makes him in the image of God. It's the thing that separates him from the animals because animals are said to have nefesh. They're said to have souls, but they're not said to have spirits. Animals have wills. Animals have emotions, but they don't have spirits. They're not created in the image of God. Um, and God works just like that old tabernacle plan. He works from outer court, inner court, holiest of holies. Um, in the New Testament, uh, I don't have time to get into this, but I do believe he operates in those three realms. I think he operates in reverse, though. I think he operates spirit, soul, body. He's, he starts in the holiest of holies and works his way outwards. We see that in the Lord's Prayer, but that's a there's a lot of teaching um, on the tabernacle plan. And I think the tabernacle plan is studying the tabernacle plan. This is probably another podcast for another day. Uh, I'm not inviting myself back, I promise. <laughs> um, but it's probably another podcast for another day, but I'm very passionate about this. I believe we need to teach the tabernacle plan, but I think we teach it in the wrong order. Um, because in the Old Testament, the Bible says that tabernacle was a shadow or a or, or reflection. If you were to wear lettering on your shirt, Chris, and you know this, and you had your selfie camera out, would the lettering, what would the lettering be looking like in the selfie camera? Backwards. It would be backwards, same thing in a mirror, right? And so I believe the tabernacle plan was a reflection of the one that was to come, which is the Lord's prayer. Um, so I know with the tabernacle plan or something like that, that prayer, it starts off with what praise and worship. And then if it's okay with you, can I give like a, sure. Can I, can I take a detour? I'm very intrigued. You can, you can, I, I've preached about this quite a bit. I'm very passionate about this. It's changed my life. Um, you can edit this out later if you want <laughs> and use it, you know? So, um, but I'm very passionate about this. And so it is a detour, but, um, the tabernacle plan, it starts with, um, the, you know, 
enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. So, so Jonathan, I need you to put your hand out like this, okay? Other hand if you can, okay? You're gonna, yeah. So that's gates with praise, okay? And then it goes to the, the brazen altar, which is repentance. So go ahead and put your, uh, your hand out. So that's, I'm gonna use you two in a minute, okay? Um, so there's repentance, and we can get into all the details of them, but it'd be in for another time. And then the other side is the laver of water, which is where you get rid of iniquity. So I believe those are two components, the brazen altar and the laver of water. Okay, then we get into the holiest of holies, and you can put your hand out. We go to the, um, the golden menorah, which is the light of the Holy Ghost. It's revelation. It's direction. It was the only light that was allowed in the inner courts. It had to be lit by the menorah, the candlestick, which is a type of the flame of the Holy Ghost on the church, okay? And then we go to the table of showbread, which is Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So this is the word of God, but it's also our needs. It's also our physical needs and it's our spiritual needs. And then we get to the altar of incense, which is our praise and our worship before the Lord. And then we get to the veil, which is a type of the holiness of God. I wish I had one more hand. Um, and then we get, yeah, and then we get into the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I used to think that the holiest of holies was all about the goosebumps that you felt and the Shekinah that came down. We don't hear a lot about Shekinah in the holiest of holies. What we do hear is about a covenant. And that covenant inscribed on the covenant was Jehovah is God or Yahweh is God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God was one Lord. It was a Lord-master relationship. That was the covenant of the Old Testament. And then inside of the tabernacle and inside of the holiest of holies and inside of the Ark of the Covenant was three specific items. It was uh, Aaron's rod, which had budded, which is a type of the power of God. And then it was the manna in the wilderness, was a type of the provision of God. And... Um, the, 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 the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments is the type of the promise of God. And so as you work through the Ark of the Covenant, you go through praise and worship, you go through repentance and iniquity, you go through direction and Holy Ghost, and then you go through the Word of God and daily needs, and then you go through um, altar of incense, deep worship, and then you, you cross that veil of holiness, and then you go to the covenant, and you experience him as Lord, and you go into the Ark of the Covenant, and you get it experience the benefits of the covenant. That's the Old Testament. But I believe in the New Testament, what God does is he shows us the, the, true, shy, the, the true type, and he reverses it just like you would in an image. And Jesus says, after this manner, pray ye, our Father. That word our is very powerful. That word our means I don't serve God on my own rule basis. I have siblings that I can look to. I can look to Moses and to Jesus and to Paul and those that have served God before me and I can see what God did for them and I can go into prayer with that attitude because I'm not an only child in the kingdom. I've got brothers and sisters and my father's a good father. If he did it for my siblings, he'll do it for me. Now, I might have to demonstrate the same level of responsibility as them. Some of my children are going to receive different benefits and privileges because, not because I love them more, because they've demonstrated levels of competence and responsibility. So I might need to demonstrate responsibility, but I have same access to those things. Our Father, I believe that's the center of the Ark of the Covenant. And then it's Father. Father is the basis of the, of the New Covenant. In the Old Testament, he's only referred to fathers three times. In the New Testament, he's referred to fathers thousands of times. Okay. So are you saying that, because I've, you know, I've, you've heard the preachings that say um, <clears throat> the tabernacle prayer plan. Do you think 
because <laughs> I, I, I got in such the mindset at one point where like, oh man, I didn't read Psalms 51. So I can't get to my needs. I need to go back. Yeah, I, I, let me finish this and okay. then, and then you tell me what you think. Okay. okay. Because I, after this man, good job, Jonathan, put him up after this manner, pray ye, Jesus said, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, after this manner, pray ye. I've heard preachers say, and this is no um, criticism at all. Uh, the, there's many types of prayer. There's the Lord's prayer. There's the armor of God. But the best prayer is a tabernacle prayer. Well, I think Jesus would disagree. <laughs> Jesus said, after this manner, pray ye. And I, I used to get so frustrated because I thought it was incongruent with the tabernacle plan. But it's not. It is the tabernacle plan. It's just the true fulfillment of it. We don't end in the holiest of holies. We start in the holiest of of holies. That's why it says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. It doesn't say you need to go through nine steps before you get to the throne. It says, come boldly, start at the throne. You start in right covenant with God. You start with him as father. You start with the grace of God. Yes, he's our Lord, but it's not a Lord servant only relationship. It is that my dad is the king. That's why I love the name of our children's ministry at Christian Life Center, King's kids. That's it. He's my Lord. He's the King. He's my master, but he's also my dad. And so my dad is the King. So he's both to me, but I now realize him first as father. And then I understand him as Lord. Um, they work in tandem together. So it's not one or the other. It is both. Um, but it's our father, our which is, I believe is the center of the Ark of the Covenant. It's that rod, it's that Decalogue, it's that manna. I have the benefits of everyone that came before me because I am under the same covenant as them. And then it's Father, which art in heaven. I believe that's the veil. It's the holiness. He's separate, he's high. Hallowed be thy name. It's that altar of incense. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done uh, on earth that is in heaven. It's that menorah. Give us this day our daily bread. It's that table of showbread. And forgive us our debts. Now we're at the brazen altar. Hmm. Jesus, why does Jesus reserve repentance for the end of the prayer? Well, if you look at the order, it's the tabernacle plan. It's just reversed. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then it's the laver of water. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Cleanse me from iniquity. Cleanse me from the attitude of sin, which that laver of water is. And lead us not into temptation. And then we're back at the gates. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Because in the Old Testament, we were going from the world You put your hands down. (laughs) We're going from the world into the presence of God. But in the New Testament, we go from the presence of God into the world. And we ultimately go and reach the world. That's why Jesus says, go and reach the lost. Why, why have, why do you think it is that people think that the tabernacle plan prayer is that way? Um, That's a very challenging answer for me to give. Um, I have my opinions, but I don't want to share them publicly. Um, <laughs> because I've, I've like, I mean, I honestly, I haven't prayed the topical plan in a long time, but I still kind of have kind of that mindset like, oh, like, you know, I have to praise and worship and then I have to at least repent before I bring anything else to the table. Like I'm like, I'm kind of like not stuck in that, but sometimes if I forget it and like I start with my needs, like, oh. No, no, no. I mean, actually, forgive me of my sins. And then, like, I go back and forth and, like... I refer to the Lord's Prayer 
refer to the Lord's Prayer. I don't think they're incongruent. If you look at Hebrews, uh, it's 9 and 10. It talks a lot about the tabernacle on earth was a shadow of the one that's in heaven. A shadow is always backwards. It's always a reflection of the true image. Um, again, if you look into the mirror, um, you're going to see lettering. It's going to be reversed in the image. And so the tabernacle plan is very blessed when people preach it because it's all biblical. It's all biblical. All the points, all the articles of furniture, God is there. I just think having an understanding of the proper order is truly where the kingdom, uh, kingdom seekers need to be because we enter the holiest of holies not by our works of righteousness or our performance in prayer. We enter there because of the grace of God. And now we take the holiest of holies. And, and the people in the tabernacle plan understand this. They'll feel God when they repent. I'm not saying it's evil to pray the tabernacle plan. <laughs> They'll feel the Holy Ghost when they repent. They'll feel the Holy Ghost when they're at the menorah and when they're at the table showbread. In the Old Testament tabernacle plan, you didn't do that. You experienced it at the end because you had to go through all these customs. But in the New Testament, we have the Holy Ghost at all the articles of furniture. We don't have to do them in order to get a touch from God. I, I feel the Holy Ghost as strong as ever when I'm repenting. I feel the, the Lord washing over me when I'm worshiping and praising. I feel God covering me when I'm praying his will and I'm praying the table of showbread. I take the holiest of holies with me. I don't do all these things in order to get a touch from God. And I think everybody understands that. We, we understand what I'm saying, but I think having a clearer understanding on it. It's going to help so many people because Chris, we don't want people to have the mentality. Um, like you say, you can have with some tendency is that sometimes you go to prayer and you can't, you know, you get so worried about the orders and the steps. Oh, I didn't repent good enough. No God, you can't touch me now. Wait, you know, <laughs> that's literally me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where it boards borders dysfunction. That's where it borders dysfunction. I think every prayer meeting, you should have all the articles of furniture. You're going to repent. But notice, I mean, and, and anybody can try to rebut as much as, you know, as they feel necessary. But what did Jesus say? I mean, I think that's the simplest answer. After this manner, pray ye. And I know this breaks a lot of people's worldview, but Jesus reserves repentance to the end of the prayer fine by me <laughs> yeah and, and there's no like there's no scriptural mandate that says pray the order of the tabernacle we just notice that god gives so much attention to the tabernacle in the old testament in the new testament and in hebrews that it must be significant and it is it's very significant there is a tabernacle in heaven and where the mercy seat is that's where the throne of god is um it's just a reversed order we go straight to the throne because of the grace and mercy of god and we do handle our sin in that prayer but i think it's god symbolically saying you don't you're not able to approach the throne i mean here's the thing chris and john what does it say in uh in the in the old testament it was a mercy seat in the new testament the book of hebrews says let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and help in the time of need well a lot of tabernacle people say that you have to obtain mercy at the brazen altar before you can enter the holiest of holies. Well, I think Jesus says, and the writer of Hebrews says, come to the throne first, then get help, 
then get mercy. Then all of your prayers can be more effective because you're actually taking the holiest of holies with you to repent and with you to seek the will of God. Um, and I think it's very, very important. I know this is way off of the original question. <laughs> I have but, a question real quick. I remember you actually preached this in Lifeline and you made people wear shirts. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That Did you wear a shirt? No, I was yeah. just watching. But um, You didn't wear a shirt? No, because he brought people. No, I, I wore a shirt. I'm saying like I put shirts on because I. Uh, that's why I had you do like the hands. Oversized shirts. Yeah, when but I feel like this? people. It was in Lifeline uh, last year. The experience you last were a junior, year. Junior, yeah, I was a sophomore. Oh. But people have this like mindset that people in the Old Testament had. Like God's so holy. Like I can't enter. I'm a sinner. How do we reverse that mindset of? Because I remember I had that growing up where like I did too much. I got to earn my way back into the presence of God? How do we reverse that mindset? You, okay, that made me think of when you, you changed my perspective in this Lifeline sermon when you were talking about surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Mm -hmm. Remember how we, we talked about like, oh, like you messed up and you feel like you have to start all over and work your way back up to where you were. And you were like, no, like surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And it was like, you were going, but it was following. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I'm thinking about. I know what I mean. I, I'm the one that said it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And so, um, and so, John, your question was, remind me of your the phrasing of your How question. How do we reverse that mindset of, like, kind of like what he said, we got to earn our way back to the presence of God. Well, and, the, you know, I know you have a lot of listeners, you know. Um, <laughs> I think moving from Old Testament mentality to New Testament mentality is a matter of maturity. And I understand some very, very deeply, deeply mature people teach the tabernacle plan. Deeply. I mean, much more mature in God than I am. Much more. Does that make you question yourself? <laughs> no. No, I think it's Bible. I, stay, I feel like I stand on the word of God. And I think we can all have incongruencies in the word and still be mature people. But I think the hearers can be a bit immature when they hear certain doctrines and they feel like they have to earn God's love and mercy to get a touch. I think that is where it borders some dysfunction. And there's some great men of God that live such a high level of lifestyle that they're just able to tap in so quickly. But saints, on the other hand, it can be a bit more challenging um, but it is a, you know, it's a good phrase. It, it helps people's conscience. Having a clear conscience going before the Lord is a great way to pray. And so a lot of people need to repent. And so I've heard brother Chester Wright say this, that the tabernacle plan is for people who struggle in faith and maturity in God, um, because they need to repent before they can go to God because it's a matter of their faith. They just can't have faith. They just can't believe God can love them while they have the sin in their life. And it's a matter of faith. But the Lord's prayer is the most mature prayer because you're able to go straight to God. And you, it's a matter of faith. And this is why it says in Titus 3, 5, right? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy has saved us through the washing of regeneration and the, and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. Um, having that understanding, I'm here in the holiest of holies because of his mercy, because he loves me. And as my response to that mercy, I was washed in the blood via baptism and my sins were remitted and the Holy Ghost took that dead spirit and communed it with God. Um, that didn't happen in the Old Testament. It does in the New Testament. So I do believe it's a matter of maturity and faith. Not everybody teaches is, is immature. I don't think that at all. But I do think it. there is somewhere we can go. I'm not saying we don't deal with sin. We need to deal with sin every single day. And you... 
if there's a topic, and you you boys know, like I you've been in Lifeline a lot. If there's a topic I preach more than anything, it's repentance. If your sister Nona Freeman used to say, if you want to assure that you're going to make heaven, know how to worship, know how to repent. I've tried to live by that mantra. I I, I want to never lose my heart to worship God. Every day I'm going to sing, I'm going to, I'm going to bow, I'm going to talk about how great. If I don't get to needs that day, I'm going to worship. Like if I have, say I did not manage my time well, and I only have 30, 45 minutes to pray that day, and I don't have time, to, and I can only pick worship or needs, I'm going to pick worship. Because the needs will take care of themselves, but I need to worship. And I'm going to repent. I'm, I'm going to clean my heart out. I'm going to say, God, if there's anything in there. So I'm a firm believer in repentance. I need repentance. But I don't have access to the holiest of holies because of my behavior. I have access to the holiest of holies because I'm a son of God, our father. My children don't have to behave perfectly to come into my presence. If I understand that, the Bible says, if you fathers being evil, my goodness to my children, my four wonderful children, and as angelic as they are, they misbehave sometimes. They're like their dad, not like their mom, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but my goodness, Chris, I'm not gonna like tell my kids, my three-year-old, my four, my four, he's four now, and my, uh, my five-year-old daughter, and my one-year-old son, and my eight-year-old daughter, I'm not gonna tell them. You know what? Go make up and pay. You broke the uh, the vase today because of uh, negligence. Well, you need to go out and pay for it. And then when you pay for it, you can come into my presence. <laughs> my God, I, you know. First of all, I'm going to pay it. You know. Yeah. Second of all, uh, as they have access to me, they have access to me. Um, they're always going to have access to me. And if me being an evil father knows how to do that for my children how much more will my heavenly father say come on into my presence you come to the throne for mercy and help you don't get mercy and help before you get to the throne you get it when you're at the throne that's what hebrew says come boldly before the throne come boldly let us come boldly it says we have it says in hebrews we have access to the holiest it says in the king james we have access to the holiest by the blood of Jesus, um, not yet by anything else, but by the blood. The reason I go to the holy, I go straight to the holiest because of the blood. Mm-hmm. And then my prayer doesn't stop there. I go. I, I experience our Father, the, the the tablets, the manna, the rod, the power, the provision, the promise. I have that because of the blood. I experience Him as Father, which art in heaven. I just I I, I, I recognize His holiness. Hallowed be thy name. Worship him. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That golden menorah. Start praying for the Holy Ghost. Start praying in tongues. Start, you know, start praying for direction and revelation and be on fire for God. What do you want me to do today? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we could break these into substrata, but I think you get the point. Mm-hmm. Give us this day our daily bread every day and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's that brazen altar. And that whole article flips. So the altar and the, um, the laver flip. And lead us not into temptation. God, help me. I, I've set up paths of temptation in my life. I need you to help me avoid those today. And deliver me from evil. For thine, and we leave those gates into the world to win the lost and to work for God and to be a witness. 
And as we leave those gates, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And um, I, I passionately believe that. I passionately believe that. And if somebody can show me in the word how the old tabernacle plan is better than the Lord's prayer. Um, but Jesus says, I mean, we, you know, we, we can't just break down our methods so deeply that we just ignore Jesus saying, after this manner, pray ye. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the words of Jesus. And I'm not going to throw the tabernacle away because Hebrews tells me and the Old Testament tells me it's important to know that tabernacle plan. But through the work of Calvary, we also need to understand the proper order. It's flipped. I believe that with all of my heart. Wow. I don't know where you want to go from here. <laughs> <laughs> you, flipped, that, you flipped my mindset. Is that okay? Yeah. Is, I guess this is all part of foundation. <laughs> yeah, we got to get back into the mind. Huh? <laughs> <clears throat> you have a water bottle? No. I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting froggy. There's, there's a <coughs> water fountain. <coughs> dude, I don't want to drink chemicals. Come on, dude. Oh, well, I just drank some. <laughs> I did water sales for like five years. You're going to edit all this out, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, does that make... No. Does that make sense, though, what I just said? Does yeah. it sit with you? Yeah. No, I never... I just thought, you said after this manner pray you, it's like, okay, Lord's Prayer, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I never correlated all those things that you said with the tabernacle. Yeah, and there's people that break down the tabernacle to such a substrata that, it, you know, it could be challenging to try to convince them. Like, there's some people that break down the table, they break down the, the, the pomegranates the priests used to wear, and the bells they wore, and the... Um, the uh, the ephod they wore and the five pillars in the tabernacle. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Um, I think it's such a stretch. And I think you can still include, if you want to include all that in your tabernacle prayer, you can include it. Just include it in the right order. Mm -hmm. Just include it in the right order. Because in the Old Testament, you, the priest went in as a priest and he left. He went he went in as a priest and he ended in a white robe where he's no longer a priest. He's just creature with creator. Um, I believe it's the opposite. We start creature creator and then we put on our garments of priesthood and we leave to go minister to a lost world. I don't think it's the other way around. I don't think it's the other way around. And we're a generation of priests. Everybody's a priest. Everybody's a priest in the New Testament. Um, and so we follow that pattern. I'm very passionate about it. But there's particular <laughs> people I respect very, 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 very. Like, they're some of my favorites on planet Earth. And they teach tabernacle plan. Um, and it's become trendy. Everybody's teaching the tabernacle plan now. Um, you know? And I hope it sets well with people. I preached this at a church recently. And uh, they received it really well. And then, like, a, like, three months later, someone else came and taught the tabernacle plan. <laughs> you know? And so... I wonder what those people thought. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what they thought. Um, but the teaching the tabernacle plan is very trendy. Um, and I, and disclaimer, I prayed the tabernacle prayer for years. I still do. Just pray it backwards. <laughs> and actually, like, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Lord's Prayer is more about the order actually doesn't matter so much. It's about starting in the covenant. Start, you don't end with the covenant. You start with the covenant. Um, and so I don't, pray any necessary order but i do try to pray all the articles of furniture but with an understanding that i'm in the holiest because of the blood of jesus yeah. and um 
The Ark of the, the the holiest of holies isn't about a go about the goosebumps. It's about the covenant. It's about the covenant. Um, you can get goosebumps anywhere. You can feel the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter what time you feel them. But I've heard so many people that pray the tabernacle say they feel it at the end. Well, that's what according to their faith. Mm -hmm. You know, you can feel it right at the beginning, bro. How many? I've walked into prayer a bunch of times, felt the Holy Ghost within millisecond. I hear of Joy Haney. You know, she said she got to the place in prayer where she there was no warming up that was needed. The moment her knees hit the ground, she was in the glory of God. Wow. Well, the old tabernacle plan, that doesn't make any sense. So we have to... And then there's days it takes me two hours to get tapped in. Wow. You know, there's some days I don't tap in at all. And that's my flesh. But it's not because I didn't perform that well. It's because I didn't... And this is where we get back to the mind, you know? So where we get back to the mind. So the cross redeems our spirit instantly. It redeems our body instantly at the end of our life. But then there's a progressive renewal of our mind. This is why one of the most famous passages in the Bible, I beseech you therefore, brethren, let's quote it slow, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. What's the difference between being conformed and transformed? Conformed, if you look at it in the Greek, is a pressure that comes from the outside causing something to change on the inside. Uh, but transformed is something that starts on the inside and causes it to change on the outside. So he's saying don't be conformed, be transformed. Don't feel the pressure from the outside. Let the pressure come from the outside. You know, you heard the old illustrations like an egg. If it breaks from the inside, there's life. If it breaks from the outside, there's death. You know, if, you, if, the, if the chicken comes from inside, life is birthed and the egg is broken. But if the egg is broken from the outside, the chick dies. It's the same thing with life. If pressure breaks you, you'll die. If pressure from without breaks you, you'll die. If pressure from within breaks you, you'll live. And um, so don't be conformed, be transformed. How are you transformed? First of all, transformed into what? The old teachers come out of me. Transformed into what? To the image of Christ. To being like Jesus. How do you become more like Jesus? Can you finish the scripture? <laughs> you guys know it by the renewing or minds. You're good job, Chris. By the renewing of your mind. The spirit was redeemed instantly. So it's not a spiritual issue for you to be transformed. It's a mind issue. He says you are going to be transformed when you renew your mind. Just like Adam and Eve had to go from kingdom culture to sin culture progressively. They had to learn how to live in a sin culture. We now need to learn how to go from sin culture to kingdom culture. We're going backwards. And uh, the renewing of our mind. We have to start thinking like the experience our spirit has already had. Because we still think like sinners, even though our spirit has been made alive and united with Christ. The spirit is pure. And the body, the flesh, is wicked. The body, uh, the scripture says, Paul. I mean, if there's anybody that had a renewed mind, it was the apostle Paul. Yet he still said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. In Romans chapter 8, it says, for the carnal mind cannot be subject to the law of God. It's physically impossible to discipline your flesh 
into spiritual victory. There's nothing wrong. Discipline is very essential for a child of God, but it's, you're not going to discipline yourself into spiritual victory alone, disciplining the body. Um, you discipline the body so the, so the spirit has dominion in your mind. That's very important. And it comes down to this. To be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In other words, if you look at that in different translations, Romans chapter eight, one translation says it this way, to have a mind that is governed by the flesh leads to death. If the governor of your mind is your flesh, meaning it is writing the laws, it is calling the shots, the end of that is death. But to be spiritually minded, or in other words, to have a mind governed by the spirit leads to life and peace. The battleground is not in the spirit. The battleground is not in the flesh. The battleground is in the mind. If we can control the thoughts of our mind and have them to be constant, this is why it says, I would that men would pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. He wants men to be in a constant state of prayer. I was studying this last night. If you look at the Greek, that word men, Chris, you're in my Greek class, is not anthropoi. Anthropoi is the word for man, gender neutral, mankind. It can include men and women. The Greek word is andres, which is exclusively to the male gender. So he says, I I understand that men are very visually stimulated. I need men to be in a constant state of prayer wherever they go. This is how you overcome temptation. I would that men, male gender, would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The way that we're going to have spiritual victory is not being spiritually minded while we're in the prayer room or while we're at church. We have to be spiritually minded, meaning the spirit is controlling our thought process all the time. This is why it is imperative we guard what we watch. It's imperative. This is why whatsoever things are good, true, lovely, just, honest, of a good report. This is why it's imperative because then the apostle Paul says, think on these things. Meaning God has now given you dominion to choose what your mind is going to dwell on. It says in Philippians, set your mind on things above. It says that's in Colossians. And it says, let this mind, this is in Philippians, be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Set your mind, let your mind, let this mind. All indicates that God has now given us the ability to choose what our mind is going to dwell on. That is the power of the redemptive work of the cross. Under, before we receive the Holy Ghost, the Bible says Satan has blinded the minds of them which believe not spiritual darkness had dominion over our mind. We could not necessarily control that our minds are going to think sinfully. Now we can control what type of sin we think on. This is why so many people self-help, right? Because they trade one sin for another. How do, how do many people get out of being lazy and drug addicted and in the world? Well, they do what's called the power of positive thinking. They go from one sin to another and they make themselves an idol and they start worshiping themselves, and they start worshiping their own bodies, and, and working out, and health becomes a new form of paganism. They're worshiping their own body. So they trade, they trade one sin for another, but it's still a sin. Yes, it's better in an earthly perspective to be physically fit than it is to be drug addicted, but ultimately it's worse eternally because when you're physically fit and successful, you don't feel like you need God. The drug addict is closer to God than the Wall Street businessman because they know they need help. And so self-help 
is trading one sin for another. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God giving you dominion in your thinking process. This is what happened. The cross redeems everything. It redeems our spirit. It redeems our body, but it redeems our soul and our mind as well. And now we are given the ability to choose on what we're going to think about. And it's a process. This is why being transformed is progressive daily. You don't just snap your fingers. So when we prayed for deliverance the other night, I wasn't praying that everyone would instantly receive the mind of Christ and their their thoughts would just would be all the time good. What we were praying for is deliverance from the bondage that your thinking is outside of your control. It is in your control. We have a choice on what we're going to dwell on. I can't choose what comes in my mind, Chris, because I could be with you and you could say something off the wall and crazy <laughs> and it aggravates me. Now it's in my mind. So I can't choose what comes in, but I can choose what stays in. Why do you think 2 Corinthians 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal? What are, oh, this is so powerful. Let's understand this in modern terminology. We're in a war and God has given us weaponry. He's given us spiritual rifles. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. He's given us spiritual rifles and swords and bayonets and shields, but they're not carnal, meaning they're not physical meaning you can't see them with the carnal eye, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. What is the spiritual weapon God has given us through the new covenant? The ability to cast down and control our thoughts. That's the weapon. We just don't use it. Brother Somsack told me after um, I gave that altar call on Wednesday, he said that he read a statistic that people have between 60 and 70,000 thoughts per day, every day. Wow. And researchers say, I don't know how they came to these conclusions, but researchers say that 80% of those thoughts are negative out of the 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. This is why we need to pray everywhere. This is why we need to dwell on the word of God. This is why we cannot afford to watch things that are wicked. Not because God is this divine, um, you know, principle in the sky and he's looking to give you demerits. Oh, you watched The Office or you watched Game of Thrones. You know, I don't know what people watch anymore. I really don't, you know. <laughs> um, that's the last thing I heard Mark Brown preach about, you know. And so, um, but God understands when you watch those things, it impacts the mind. And if the mind is carnal, meaning it's dwelling on carnal things, it will lead to death. But if the mind is dwelling on spiritual things, it's going to lead to peace and life. That's why it's imperative. We guard what we watch. We guard what we listen to. We guard what we hang, who we hang out with. I understand in a, in a fallen world, you're going to see stuff on billboards and you're going to be in the workplace and music's playing over the loudspeaker. I'm not saying we become Amish, but I'm talking about your free will. I'm talking about when you're in the bedroom alone, what, what you watch on your, on your YouTube. And it, it's all part of fighting this battle of having peace and victory and becoming more like Jesus. Because Paul says, if your mind is transformed um, or if your mind is renewed, which needs to be daily, 
then you're going to be transformed. Ephesians chapter five talks about this as well. Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, not walking after the vanity of the Gentiles' minds, in their futility. Vanity means emptiness. It means non-functioning. They have a mind, the neurons are firing, but because they have not received the redemptive work of Calvary, there's no function in the spirit realm. That's not how you need to be. Your mind needs to be renewed every day. You're a spiritual being. You're living in a spiritual world. You're living in a world that is really full of an enemy and demonic forces and evil that wants to take your soul to hell. But you also serve a God who's omniscient and everywhere and his word is all powerful. This is what your mind needs to be renewed towards every single day. And it goes into deeper layers and dimensions. And, and I have not mastered this by any degree but i have learned the more i can concentrate on god on a and not just concentrate on god but including god throughout my day and throughout my life i realize that i have so much more peace and so much more victory and to use a modern term happiness but it's really joy and so it's not that god is trying to resist me from having fun and from enjoying life, it's actually quite the opposite. He understands that if you gauge in sin, it's temporary pleasure, but it's long-term death. But with the things of the spirit, it's temporary discomfort because you're resisting what your flesh wants, but it's long-term peace and joy. How do you renew your mind every day? How do you renew your mind? Well, again, it's, it's spiritually minded. It's putting your mind towards the things of the spirit. Um, you know, the old illustration I've always heard, it's an old one, probably most of the listeners have heard it, but you have two dogs inside of you. You have the spirit, you have the flesh. And, and Romans 8, again, is like a textbook for this subject. They're at war with one another. They're at odds with one another. They're at enmity, to use a King James word, with one another. And the dog that you feed is going to win the fight for the day. So if you feed the flesh and that dog gets real strong, it's going to win the fight that day. And what is the prize? The prize is the soul. The prize is the mind. And then the flesh gets to sit on the throne of the mind and call the shots. And then boom, lust, boom, hate, boom, greed, boom. And it's calling the shots because these are all works of the flesh. And we don't have time. There's a difference between the voice of the flesh and the voice of the devil. Um, they have different voices. The flesh, if you look at Galatians chapter five, talks about the, f- the fruit of the flesh. It's sexual sins in general. Um, we don't really see Satan tempting people with sexual sins in the Bible very much. The flesh does that on its own. I can't think of one time in, in particular that he does. Um, Satan is always about after people's faith. The most demonic voice you'll ever hear is the voice of division, um, it says in, uh, in second Corinthians, we, we're not ignorant of his devices. It's talking about, it's talking about bitterness there. They were bitter towards a brother who caused them bad standing in the church. And, and Paul is encouraging them to forgive this brother who was, was guilty. And he says, for we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And it's, uh, it's shame. You know, he's the accuser of the brethren. So say we see Satan is, he tells you to give up. It's the story of Job. He wants Job to give up his faith. It's shame and guilt. Um, it's bitterness. These seem to be the voices of Satan. Give up your faith. This isn't really God. This is all fake. That's the voice of the devil. But lust, that's, that's not the devil, I don't think. I think he can try to push you towards lust and temptation. That's just your flesh. You know, temptation comes in, James chapter one says that temptation is conceived from the lust of the flesh. 
And so um, we're talking about dominion, dominion because you can't, I can expel the devil from my life. I can't, I can expel his voice. He doesn't talk to me very much um, every once in a while, but I'm not talking to the devil every day. I know people have like a ongoing dialogue with Lucifer. You know what I mean? Like uh, he doesn't talk to me very much. He tries, but I, I think I can cast him out pretty good, but I can't cast out this flesh. That's called suicide. You know, like I'm not going to cast out this flesh. So I have to deal with it. I have to wrestle with it. So renewing my mind every day is a process of saying, no, God is on the throne. Starting your day with prayer. Very important. Dwelling on the word of God. We got to get out of this business of reading the word. And we've got to get into the business of studying, meditating, and memorizing the word. Reading the word. We have no commands in scripture to read the word. We have every command in scripture to hide the word of God. Dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. Uh, we have no mandate to read the uh, the Bible as if it was Reader's Digest. Hmm. You know? We are to dwell and meditate and think on these things. And so I, you know, I would rather, I read my Bible very slow. I know there's people that read the Bible and they have different skill set and gifting. I mean, I know I have a buddy who reads the Bible every three months. Um, that, that's just wild to me. Like I generally read three or four verses, five verses, but I'll spend maybe an hour and a half on those four verses, picking them apart sometimes memorizing them, going to other verses, cross-reference. So it's not just four verses. I might read 50 verses, but I'm focusing on those four verses. That helps me because at the end of the day, you could say, what did you read this morning? And I, I, can, I can tell you because, you know, how many times if you read the Bible and then 30 minutes later, like, what was I even reading? Yeah. I don't, that doesn't work for me at all. That doesn't work for me at all. So I try to, dwell and meditate i believe that's all encompassed in renewing your mind putting the spirit back on the throne and through prayer all right god i've got out of alignment here i need to repent i need to be cleansed i need to be washed the washing of the word the bible says the bible is um very much will renew and wash over your mind that's why we have got to get large amounts of the word of god going through the processes of our mind and I heard it from one of my old teachers that, you know, if you get an old sift or an old um, colander, you know, that you strain with, and that colander is dirty from all of the, maybe you had rocks in there and you're washing them off and the colander is dirty. Well, you're going to have to run that thing through the water to get it clean. Sometimes it takes five or six or seven rinses. Sometimes it takes some scrubbing. So like if you've, you know, I'll just say it. If you're, if you're watching perversion and it's been in your mind, it doesn't go away in a day. It doesn't go away in a week. It doesn't go away in a month. It doesn't go away in two months. But after about three, four, five, six months of reading your Bible consistently and every day, you start to say, man, my mind's being renewed. I'm not even thinking about that stuff anymore. But it's a slow shift because you've now got into ways of thinking that you have to renew on a slow basis. The spirit is instantly renewed. But the mind is a process. And the more our mind, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, the more we have the mind of Christ and think like Christ, the more dominion we have in the earth. And that is the will of God. That makes sense? Yes. <laughs> you guys are yawning on me. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I, another like bombshell thought 
that you changed my perspective today. My mindset, I guess, because of the tabernacle prayer or something, I don't know. I thought I had to have, like, I need to at least, at least read a chapter a day. I can't tell you what I read yesterday. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Something about the, oh, my gosh, actually something about the tabernacle. Well, yeah, and Chris, you are, I mean, I'm, I mean, and no, no joking, like, I'm, you are a very disciplined person in some ways, <laughs> and, um, you know, like, you, you wake up early, and you go to the gym, and you're excellent with the things you're passionate about, Greek, not so much, but um, you're, you're passionate about the things you do, and so you're very, very disciplined, and that's super, super important. Um, we need to be disciplined. We need to tell this flesh, no. That's important. I'm getting up. I'm waking up. I'm doing this. That's important. But it doesn't finalize the work. It happens when we dwell and meditate and get those truths. Why do you think the Bible is called the bread of life? Or Jesus is the bread of life, but it's the word of God, which is our daily bread. We need to eat it. We need to digest it. It needs to get inside of us. I would rather you, Chris, memorize two verses a day or one verse a day than to read six chapters and have no idea what you read if someone can read six chapters a day and meditate on all of it do it you're going to read the bible in a year it's going to be amazing you're going to be completely transformed do it if you can read 18 chapters a day as and then you'll finish it in three months ish or whatever it's 30 something chapters in a day um do it sometimes that's necessary and it's important because you actually will review after you've gone through a deep study of the word of god um, or a season of deep study of the word, you should always study the, the word of God. Sometimes reading it fast can be good because you're just reviewing things that you studied. Um, very healthy. I know a good friend of mine knows the word of God better than mo anybody I know, really. And he reads the Bible very, very fast every day because he's reviewing things he already knows. Um, so that's, I'm not saying you have to read the Bible slow. Never, I don't think I've said that yet, nor do I believe it. But, you need to understand what you're reading. Yeah. And if you're reading a chapter and you don't understand, slow down. Read two verses. You know, there's a, an acronym that was created somewhere else and I kind of retweaked it and use it. Um, it's, it's the five steps, I believe, to internalizing the word of God. I think first we need to review the word, meaning um, you need to get familiar with the stories. You need to get familiar with where the books are at in the Bible and the characters and the names. And so sometimes if you just read it, you're just getting familiar with where stuff is. After you review it, you need to research it. Okay, where was Galilee? This is, keeps coming up. Okay, who, wh why the heck is Paul writing these letters? What's he writing about? Who's he writing to? Where were they? Study it. Get a commentary or, you know, even, you know, there's just simple stuff on the Bible app on your phone and, and, What's going on here? We, we, we review it. We research. And then research goes as deep as PhD and master's degree. So you'll never stop researching the word. But it needs to be part of your daily process, I believe. Um, and then we um, remember the word. It's where we hide the word of God in our heart. David said, I will hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In Psalm 119, David said, the more word I have in my heart, the better affinity I have in resisting temptation when it comes. Okay, so we need to review, we need to read. Well, instead of read, we say review. Uh, we need to research. We need to remember. I believe then we need to rehearse. We need to rehearse the word. Meaning, I need to obey 
what it says. I don't just need to memorize it. If the Bible says, forgive your brother, and I have memory of my, my friend that hurt me, I need to go obey that word. Or if it says, whatever, if it says, go do this or go do that, I need to rehearse it. Sometimes you need to close your Bible and go do it. I've, I've had to do that sometimes where I would be in my morning devotions. I would read something and I'm not doing that thing. I don't believe I should. Now, if I could change in that moment, I will. Sometimes I can't change in that moment because there's lots of things in the Bible I'm not doing correctly, but I'm trying my best to. Hopefully there's not lots of things. So there's, there are some things I come across. I'm not doing that. I have to, but I have to make a change. I have to make a change. I didn't realize I wasn't doing that right. I got to make a change. And then I believe you retain the word. Once you are a doer of the word, the Bible says in James, it says to be a hearer only is like a man that goes into a mirror, sees his face, and then when he leaves, he forgets what manner of man he is. When you don't get in the habit of doing the word while you're reading it or you're hearing the preach word, you feel conviction. You feel, I need to change. I need to do this. I'm looking in a mirror. I can see the blemishes and the scars and the smudges and the spots. But if I'm not in the habit of doing the moment I leave the service, all the conviction leaves me. But if I'm in the habit of being a doer, I'm going to remember. There is a smudge right there. There's a cut right here. I need to get bandaged up. So we need to not just be hearers, but doers as well. And then we retain it then the word becomes a part of us. It becomes written on the tablet of our heart, as Jeremiah said, is part of the new covenant. I'm not gonna write my law on tablets of stone, but I'm gonna write it on the tablet of their heart. And then now the word of God becomes a part of me. There's so many verses that I don't just have them up here. They're a part of me. I wish there were more, but they're a part of me and they help me fight this battle. They help me fight this battle. And so I believe we've got to go. We stop on that first step. We just read it, close it, and move on. We're, we're missing four steps. Yeah. And this is why we don't feel transformed because we're not interacting with the word of God, how it is intended for us to interact. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. uh, one question that I've had, like, since you were preached that on Wednesday, I've had it a lot, was um, I've had, like, for example, you said when thoughts come into your mind, you can, you know, you don't have to dwell on it, you know, like get rid of it. Well, I've had, I'd say like a couple different topics of thoughts that will pop in my mind, like religiously for like years, ever since like even in middle school, all the way till now, constantly in my mind. And it's like, well, like, like leave, <laughs> like go away. Like, is this supposed to be my thorn in my side? Like, can you remove it? <laughs> Put something else. <laughs> yeah. And, and and we have to understand that the a thorn in the side, everybody, everyone who's going to do something for God has that. Um, but it can't be something that's incongruent with the will of God. And the will of God is that we have peace in our minds, dominion in our minds. Um, we're going to struggle because we're human. If we had perfect thinking processes, we would be like Jesus. Because we have access, we wouldn't be Jesus because we're not God. But we would have access to be just like him because we have the same Holy Ghost that was the spirit of Christ. Um, we have the ability to have the mind of Christ. Uh, we would be just like Jesus. So obviously because we are sinful and he was not, um, we don't attain that until we get to heaven. 
So it's always going to be a battle in the mind. You're going to have bad thought processes. But I do not think that there's any thinking processes that God is not willing to give you dominion over. Paul's thorn in his side was a physical ailment. We don't know what it was, but it was some type of physical ailment. Um, there's we there's no way we could know. There could be twenty different. There's twenty different opinions on what the thorn in the side was. Thorn in the flesh. Um, the thorn in his flesh. Thorn in his side is a. That's just a saying. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's close, close enough. Yeah. Um, thorn in the flesh. Um, so Chris, it's it's Second Corinthians ten. The weapons of our warfare. Have you ever? addressed it have you ever verbally out loud said it's very effective no you do not belong here it's an eviction i I said this on wednesday it's an eviction process you have to evict the tenant sometimes tenants take a while to get out they're called squatters sometimes there's thoughts that linger but you're the landlord of your mind jesus is the landlord but you're the housing manager and you do the eviction process no lust out if it's been very welcome for years takes a while to get out unfortunately if that lustful thought has been squatting in your mind or it's been you know paying rent in your mind for a decade you don't say okay guys um (laughs) you know we've had a change of management (laughs) you guys could just leave and be okay (laughs) They're going to, they're these big brawly, ugly dudes, you know, what do you do? Get out. No more. You're not welcome. Takes them a while, but every time they raise up, get out, you're evicted. And that is the weapon of our warfare. That is not carnal that God has given us the power to pull strongholds, cast down imaginations and every high thing and bringing every thought into captivity. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. That's the word of God, Chris. The weapon he's given us is to bring every thought into captivity to Jesus Christ. We just don't exercise that. We're so high on the spiritual dominion or or the spirit and praying in tongues and everything, which is very essential that we forget it's God's will that we have dominion in our mind. It's a fight. Every day it's a fight. It's never like leisure mode. I, I genuinely see it as, uh, you know, two, two UFC fighters, flesh, spirit. And uh, one of them is going to submit the other. It's going to get them in an arm bar. But there's just no tap out. It's just how long can you hold them? 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 And that's it. The, the spirit has to get the flesh into a place of submission where it's in a chokehold. That thing's going to be kicking and screaming. But when you have your arm in the right position, you got him in an arm bar and a choke, you're the one calling the shots. But it's still a fight. This mind and this flesh will be a fight until we go to heaven. But if we want victory, we've got to get into submission. Wow. (laughs) That answers my question. (laughs) Praise God. And I'm telling you, man, I'm still working on this every day. But the understanding of this has helped me to go further than I've been before. So I don't have complete full dominion of every thought. And I've still got a long, 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 long way to go, long way to go. But it's not that I'm speaking from a, the perspective of, you know, a psychological expert as much as I know these things to be true because the word tells me they're true. And I've seen them to be true in progression 
meaning I haven't reached the end, but I could see where I was, and I'm happy to say that it does work. It does work. I have one last question. Yeah. You said on Wednesday, um, something I forget what it was, something to the extent of uh, that our minds or we should pray that our minds operate the way that God intended our minds to operate, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you expound upon that? I think that's just the kind of an encapsulation of our whole conversation, is that God intends our minds to be spirit-led. Thoughts of peace. Thoughts of, I mean, you know, one of the most looked-at verses in the Bible. It's so hard to believe. I think this verse is harder to believe in a social media you know, overstimulated, tumultuous, tyrannical society, sinfully tyrannical. I think this verse is one of the hardest to believe. I believe the resurrection of the dead easier than I believe this verse, but we have to take it at face value. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. That's a big verse. Not don't be anxious some of the time. Or don't be anxious at all, or, or, or most of the time. It says don't be anxious at all. Depression and anxiety are different. We always couple them together. They're different. Depression, we see, we see some major biblical figures being depressed. Jeremiah, Elijah, I think even Jesus, uh, towards the end of his life and all the pain he went through. Depression is part of this human experience, going very low emotionally. Um, I don't think it's, you know, it, and depression, not about you, like you're ugly and so you're depressed, you know, I'm, or your boyfriend broke up with you. See, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like the woes of life. People die and tragedies happen. And so I, I need to make that distinction because someone's going to be listening to this and they're going to think I'm sad. So there must be something wrong with me. That's not true. Depression does happen. But anxiety is counter, completely counterintuitive to the will of God for our life. The most often repeated command in Scripture, it's repeated 365 times in the Word of God. One for every day. And in all of its forms, it has various different forms. But the nucleus of the form is this. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Don't be overcome by fear. It's repeated 365 times in the Bible. It is the most often repeated command. Jesus would get angry at his disciples when they were on the boat and they thought they were going to die. And they said, Lord, we're going to die if you don't save us. The Bible said he became exceedingly angry with them. And he said, oh, wicked and perverse generation, how long must I suffer with you? He says, fear is the exact opposite of faith. Faith is believing in me. Fear is believing in your trial. Fear is having expectation that the worst is going to happen. It's having faith that bad. Brother Jeff Arnold used to say, fear is faith in the enemy. It's very true. Hmm. And so anxiety is, uh, is akin to that. It's a form of fear. It's that divide. The, the, the root word for anxiety means to be divided. It's a divided mind. It's a mind that's pulled so many different directions. It's the, the, the favorite phrase of anxiety is what if. What if, 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 what if they hate me? What if this, what if that, what if that? Scripture says be anxious for nothing. 
but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so peace stands at the door. And that's why the next verse says, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are good, true, just. He said, you just went from anxiety and you evicted it and you expelled it from your life. And now peace stands at the door of your heart. It's very important that you are able to keep the deliverance that God gave you. We throw away our deliverance all the time. There's so many times we've been delivered from thoughts and thinking processes and the devil has no, no, no hold over our mind. And then what do we do? <laughs> Get back to our room. <laughs> and then it comes right back. Yeah. We invite it. Um, and so that's why those two anxiety and the, exp- the expulsion of anxiety from your mind and whatsoever things are good, true, and just are linked so closely together because God did the supernatural work of evicting anxiety through the processes of prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, which is another lesson entire. Um, you got to do everything you can to keep that peace. And there's a reworking of your mind. Some of, where some of us are so addicted on dopamine and we're so addicted to the scrolling. And, you know, TikTok is designed to be addictive. Do some research. I mean, somebody sat down and said, how can we make the most addictive app possible? And it's TikTok. Like, theoretically, there is nothing more addictive on, or for social media than TikTok. It is designed to be addictive. That's all it's designed to be is to keep you on. It's for advertisement. Um, because if you're addicted, you're going to see all these ads and they make money. Um, and so expelling yourself from an addiction takes time. You don't just snap your fingers. You know, generally it takes, and, and again, you're, you're hitting all my candy sticks today. You know, I could talk about this for a while. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a series on Lifeline, in Lifeline, when, whenever we start again about addiction and how it's much more prevalent than crack and heroin and alcohol, you know, but then there are uh, these small addictions to our cell phones and social media actually cripple us so much from being what God has called us to be. And that all ties back into the renewal of your mind, not having anything fleshly, which includes TikTok, which includes social media, which includes anything having dominion over your mind. Only Jesus is allowed to sit in that space. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to come back for a part two, <laughs> <laughs> you let me know. I'm down for a part two. This was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, this was fun. You have anything else to say or no? <laughs> John has been talking my head off. He's <laughs> talking my head off. Oh, this has been episode 24. I love it, man. I didn't realize you've done so many episodes. Uh, I'm t- well, what we did was is 